Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Welcome to ASHTO Resource q and I'm Brian Johnson. And I'm Kim Swanson, and we have two guests with us today. We're going to be talking more about the proficiency sample program and recent samples that have closed, aren't we, Brian? Yeah, that's right. It's the end of November, and we had three sample rounds come out in November. So we brought John Molusky, the manager of the proficiency sample program, on to discuss this with us. And I think this is his uh, debut on the podcast, Ryan LaQuay also with a proficiency sample program, but his title escapes me at the moment. I'm the laboratory and testing manager. Wow, that's good. Mm-hmm. I like that title. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Ryan's actually not new to the position, but I just never knew his title. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a jerk. It's uh, generally lumped under lab manager, but I get the full laboratory and testing uh, on the business card. So Well, very good. So Ryan and John are here to talk to us about the last three rounds and what was interesting. And I think in some cases, uh, for one of the samples, it's going to be a bit of an education for our listeners that we even have this sample. So let's talk about the known sample that people are probably more interested in the group. And that is the performance graded asphalt binder round. 269 and 270. So we've had that one for a while. John, what has been interesting in this round of analysis? Well, the uh, material that we used this round was definitely more interesting than we had in the past. It was a very highly polymer modified asphalt binder. So we saw some interesting data, especially with MSCR and elastic recovery, very, very high recovery values last recovery approaching 100%. Some laboratories even reported beyond 100%. They actually got some snapback uh, because of how polymer modified the material was. Also, uh, really low values on the PAV conditioned data for uh, G-star, G-star sign delta, uh, time sign delta, a lot lower than what we normally see just because of the way the product worked. So yeah, some definitely good stuff. I know we received some comments about the test temperatures and the workability of the material, uh, but it seemed like it, it worked out in the end. So definitely a good change. Kim, what's going on? Question for those who are not heavily involved in statistics, what is G-star and G-star sine delta or whatever you just said? What was what does that mean for the so, people that don't know? So those are the, that they are the modulus values that are calculated by the DSR. It's basically a measure of the stress and strain that's applied to the sample. I love when people answer a question with another term. Oh, G-star is just the modulus. Yes, sorry. That's very helpful. (laughs) Let's break it down into even more simplified terms. Just thinking about uh, comparable values, a a low value would indicate what? Like what, what sort of property or if i'm if i'm working with this asphalt or i see this asphalt what would that be like i'm asking you john not kim yeah, yeah. no i mean it right <laughs> so the the material is definitely going to be a little bit softer just by the nature of the product it has a lot more elastic property to it you know meant to help with cracking fatigue so you indicated that you got some 
responses from the people who participated uh, about the material and and how they were handling it. Were were people in general used to using this type of highly modified asphalt product? No, definitely not, Brian. I, I received just a handful of comments and concerns from participants about it, but the product that we selected wasn't readily used as widely across the country as some some of our other normal grays, you know, like a polymer modified 76 or something like that. This this material was completely uh, different and we have not had anything like this in the program in a very, very long time. I'm going to say probably seven to 10 years since we had a, a product this highly modified. So it's been a little while since uh, since we've changed it up to this. Wow. So how did you pick this one? I'll just talk to a few suppliers at at some of the um, industry meetings, and one of them said, "Hey, we've got a product. We'd like to see what it looks like through PSP." And I said, "Absolutely, we'll we'll totally take it and see what happens. Just need the correct temperatures to run it, so we can appropriately update the instructions and the testing information, and we'll see what happens." That's that's basically what it came down to. Okay, so when you're using or sending out a material that is this modified, are there concerns about? testability, will the participants be able to perform the test at the temperatures that are required for that material? To some small degree, I guess what I want to say, um, you know, when anything is this highly modified, we are concerned with a little bit of separation or settlement. We didn't have any of that. The homogeneity and stability data looked comparable to what we've seen in the past. So I don't believe we had any issues with that. May have been a little bit trickier to handle because of the elasticity of it. Might have been a little bit more challenging to pour trim molds and things of that nature. But overall, everything seemed to be, in, you know, just in line with any other material that we've sent. Okay, so so given that it was different, did you see a wider spread of data? No, the numbers and the values seem to be pretty similar, uh, with the exception of the MSCR. We saw some issues with that. Um, especially the difference values to the difference in recovery and difference in JNR. We suppress those line items because of a trimodal distribution. And that means That means that there were three distinct means. When we looked at the data during the analysis process, there were three separate clusters of data. So since there were three separate clusters of data, we couldn't consider it to be an acceptable analysis. The trimodal distribution may indicate what? Could be a lot of things. Um, I feel like Brian's baiting me here. I am, because I know <laughs> the answer to the question. Yeah, we, Brian's baiting me. If, uh, this, is, this test is, is, uh, pains me to talk about. We struggle with this one in PSP a lot with um, having distributions that are not normal. And uh, we we are thinking uh, and seeing some evidence that the difference in the data is due to the equipment that is used. So the different manufacturers of the dynamic shareometers, they all do the same thing, but they all do the same thing a little bit different with the calculations and the way things work. And we think that is where some of the variability is coming from. When you look at the Uden plot, it's actually very evident that it's systematic error. The shape of the plot is long, very, very elongated, and that indicates a high amount of systemic error. So there's something going on with the standard that we can fix. The good part is it's not random error. We can't really fix random error, but uh, there's definitely some something going on within the standard that we can hopefully take care of and address. Yeah, that would be good. And that's one of the values of the proficiency sample program, right? You get a lot of data from 
many labs and that can contribute to more reliable results as far as not reliable like you can count on those test results but you can count on that being some indication of the truth because of the sample size that you're dealing with right now just so that people don't get the wrong idea about this equipment issue well, correct me if i'm wrong so it's not necessarily a problem with the equipment like it's not like defective equipment no it's no, just the, it, it's just that something about that property is bringing out this variability correct yeah it's it's the and it's not i don't even want to say it's that specific property the percent difference values it's the way that the devices are reporting and determining the values for the jnr and the percent or and the recovery values so there's there's something going on there um i don't know if it's some sort of uh interpolation situation or what but there's something going on there that that causes this distribution to look the way it does uh, i don't want to go too too much more into the variability of the particular test but uh, like a lot of things in, in pretty much every research paper I've ever read, uh, more study is needed to figure out what is going on. How many participants do we have in, in this proficiency sample program? This current round had 377. This is one of the few samples that we send out twice a year. Is that correct? That is correct. Can we send the samples out on approximately a six-month distribution? And that's basically due to the industry. When we started this program decades ago, the industry members actually asked to have these samples shipped more frequently. So we offer that. We offer that service to them, and it seems like they appreciate it, and uh, we get a lot of good data out of it. And Brian, what does that mean for the labs that are accredited for this, for tests within that scope of the program? If it's sent out twice a year, does that change anything? Or Well, the same, the same rules apply. Uh, it's just that it, it, it speeds up the process a little bit. So uh, as you know, if you're an astro accredited laboratory, it takes two consecutive rounds of low ratings on both samples in the rounds to result in a suspension of accreditation. So whereas a sample that's only distributed annually, that means that we wouldn't take action, you know, but once every two years if you're new to the program. But since this comes out twice a year, that could happen in one year, uh, which I think is good as far as uh, if I'm a specifying agency or a laboratory, I'd find out if there are issues going on sooner uh, and that way they can get corrected sooner. So that, that's a good thing. Let's move on from the PGB sample now and talk about the more traditional viscosity. Well, used to be traditional viscosity graded asphalt cement samples. Ryan, was there anything interesting in this round that you saw in the data? So we're still in the process of going through that, but nothing that's put any uh, red flags up for us just yet. We're currently analyzing that as we speak. Are you seeing any reduction in participation in the, the viscosity graded samples versus the performance graded samples? No, looking at the, the trends in the data of our participation over the past five to 10 years, we're, it's remaining pretty consistent. Uh, we actually see a little bit of an increase in international participation every now and again it kind of picks up and drops it's it's probably one of the one of the programs that that fluctuates right around a, a set i don't want to say a set number but a, a number that's very consistent are there any new tests that have been added to the viscosity graded asphalt cement samples 
No, we have not added any new tests in quite a while. It's pretty much been the been the run of the mill test for viscosity and for grading of binders using um, you know viscosity tests, the kinematic and absolute viscosity. So we haven't really changed too much. Just been pretty consistent. Okay, well that's good. Uh, I'm sure that'll be <laughs> that'll be good news for the laboratories that are participating. Stability and consistency are are the goal, right? You know, we want to see things. It's good to try out some new tests and new materials, but it's good to see that some of these things are continuing to be used that are time tested, right? Uh, so then you can have more reliable results. Now let's talk about the third topic today, and I think this one will generate some discussion. Well, let's talk about paint samples, 69 and 70. Ryan, what do you want to tell us about the paint samples this time? Uh, so this year's paint round had uh, 73 participants, ran across six different test methods. Um, they look pretty good from what we saw. Don't believe we got any comments from any labs on this one, which is always great. Very straightforward. Okay, so what kind of paints are we sending here? So we typically send out a waterborne traffic paint. Um, usually white or yellow. We don't want to deviate too much with different colors or different test properties. One of the criteria that we have for selection within our paint program is that we use a paint that has been tested and the data appears on the NetPEP data mine database. So we have an opportunity to look at material that's already been tested and get a really good idea of the properties. And uh, some of those paints have been accepted by DOTs already. So that uh, that acceptance for them using the products is, has helped us choose higher quality materials for us to send to the participants within this program. So now these are traffic paints. Are these mainly DOTs that are in this program or, or who else runs these tests? So the overwhelming majority is DOT. We also have a few other public entities that run it. Um, I believe a lot of like Department of Works facilities do that. One of the things that is kind of surprising is we have some international customers in this this round. Uh, we actually have a few in China that participate in this program. That's kind of a a, a one-off. We don't have a lot of uh, a lot of participation from from that far across the globe, but in this instance, we do. The other bulk of the participants are you know paint laboratories themselves. Um, you know, so the main paint suppliers that we would see providing traffic paint to the DOTs and agencies are the ones that we see in the program. Okay, without naming any names, are the same companies that make paint that somebody would go out and buy and and put on the walls in their homes and apartments, are, is it the same companies that make this kind of highway paint or are they different companies? Nope, some are the exact same. They're they're the same same brands that you would find in in a you know home improvement store, um, just a different type of paint for a different application. So I know the probably the least about paint of all the proficiency samples. Well, that's probably a, a lie. I don't know a lot about a lot of those. So, but, but we're just going to go with the fact that I don't know a lot. And this is just purely because it happened to me the other day. I walked on some paint in a parking lot and almost broke my butt because I slipped. So is that one of the tests that people test for? Like if it's wet and then like the paint is slippery, like why is that something that is a test parameter that we offer or that is available? Because I hate that. I hate how slippery it is. Yeah, I promise we didn't design this segue, but the answer is yes. One, one of the paint tests is called no pickup time. And I believe it is D711. It's an ASTM only 
test method. Um, but yeah, so so we do that. We actually do no pickup time, and there are specifications for how long the paint is permitted to stay wet, if that's the way to describe it. That's not what you're saying, though. You're mm -hmm. not saying you slipped on a like wet, wet paint. paint. No, I slipped on wet paint because it was raining, not because it was freshly painted. Yeah, you're oh, talking that wasn't... about it didn't have any traction. Like, yeah. well, that wasn't it clear, Kim. I'm it. sorry. Let me. I can <laughs> re-ask that. Need to delete that whole thing now. I can. I was so excited. And <laughs> I know. Just okay. Me just because I... you slipped. I slipped. Well, and then it, she covered it in paint. GSP doesn't account for clumsy. <laughs> well, you should. You should. Um, sorry for the lack of clarity in that question. But is there a test as the paint is dry in the environment, but then it rains, that the paint on the roads and in sidewalks and in parking lots is really slippery? Is that like a thing that people can test for and to make it not a thing? Because I feel like that's a issue in my life and probably others. I don't know if that's a test or not. I my guess would be probably. Yeah, I, I know they yeah. worry about retro reflectivity and glass beads and other things. I'm not sure if they worry about traction. I, I, I would think, right, we worry about friction and slippage and all that other kind of stuff when we're talking about driving on a road. So I would think that there's something out there, but I'm, I'm really not sure. Well, I think someone needs to get on that because I can't tell you how many times I've almost fallen because I was walking on wet paint from like rain or sprinklers or something like that. But I am also clumsy. So that could also be operator error on some of that. So, <laughs> Well, I would agree with you, though, Kim, because I, I'm, I'm thinking about a, a situation that I, I deal with all the time. One of the streets that I drive on every day, it, ha it has an upward slope leading to a stop sign. And there is a big band of a painted surface that is uh, supposed to indicate where you should stop. Now, the problem is if it's wet or icy, you know, you go and you pull onto that thing. And if your tires are on that band that's been painted, you are going to skid when you go to start your car. So you immediately will not get the traction you need. So if there is not a test for that, there certainly should be. I know they have it for tile and other flooring surfaces have tests for traction, but I don't know if painted surfaces do, and that would be great. But that is not relevant to this discussion on PSP samples at all. Uh, so you can decide whether you're going to cut this out or not. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But I'm <laughs> yeah. just saying, and also, Brian, you're supposed to stop before you get to that big stripe. Oh, I am? You? Aren't you? Traffic rules, you're supposed to stop within three That's feet. not important. That part, okay. my driving is not the important part of that I'm story. just saying, like, as, like, you're cr walking on a crosswalk that has the painted lines, you can't really <laughs> jump over those, but as you're driving, you're supposed to not necessarily stop on that line. But I digress. I am now responsible for a tangent, and I apologize. I think we've had a real breakthrough here. Ryan, Ryan uh, what are your thoughts? I have no idea where this is going. This is off the rails. It is off the rails. Um, uh, I did have a question for, for Brian, though. So we said that paint is one of the smallest proficiency samples, had the least number of participants. How many labs do we have in the accreditation program for this? Uh, even smaller. In, in fact, zero. Uh, we don't accredit for paint testing in the ASHTO accreditation program. Just not enough interest, or is there something more specific going there? Lack of interest is the reason. There is nothing in RE18, ASHTO RE18 uh, tables about paint testing equipment, and there really hasn't been much interest among the committee members or the state DOTs 
uh, to a credit for paint testing. I think mainly because it would just be them and some suppliers. So I don't think there's a lot of subcontracting of paint testing going on, or uh, there's also not a lot of suppliers out there. I don't believe of the of the paint like there are for you know aggregate and asphalt and and asphalt mixtures and and other products and materials that are included in the program so it it just seems like there just isn't really a need for it but um one other thing about paint though so this is just this waterborne traffic paint and there i know there's tons of pavement markings and striping uh, materials out there john have you been asked by anyone to expand the paint program into some of these other pavement markings Good question, Brian. Uh, the answer to that is yes. We've actually conducted surveys uh, over the past few years to try to see if there is any interest in, in one, the accreditation program for regular uh, traffic paint like we've been discussing, but also pavement striping materials, um, you know, just the thermoplastic tape um, and also things like glass beads, any of the other properties for reflectivity or whatever else we need. We've seen some interest in it, but there you know, doesn't seem to be enough to really launch a full-scale program. You know, I've had DOT staff approach me about it at meetings, uh, and we are considering it. We just need to have enough participation, and the industry uh, and agencies really need to want it to get it off the ground. How about NetPEP? You know, you mentioned these materials coming out of the NetPEP list of evaluated products. Have there been any inquiries from other manufacturers that are also on that evaluated products list to include their products in a future paint sample? Uh, We haven't had anyone specifically come up to us and say that, hey, would you be willing to have our paint as part of the program? Um, It's just one of those things where, like I said, we look through the list, try to find a manufacturer who's got a product on the list that's been tested by agencies. And then we go ahead and we select that facility for product usage and just simply call them up and ask if they have any available when we can either pick it up or have it shipped to us. That sounds good. And if you wonder why I was taking my time picking through those words in that question is because there's some confusion about what that list is, right? So it, it's it's a, a list of evaluated products. That's correct. What is it not? Can you get into that just a it little is, bit? It is not a product approval or qualified product list. Thank you for that clarification, because I think that is kind of a sticking point. Other than what we've talked about so far with the pain sample, as far as data distribution is concerned or test results, was there anything particularly interesting to talk about? Not so much. There's a couple of samples where um, the results are very concentrated. For example, the pigment content uh, is one of the test methods that we checked for. The... uh, Range in results is about 1.25 percent. You know, after we get the the data back, we do our analysis verification. Part of it is we look at the Uden plot. Uh, if we look at that Uden plot, it looks like there's only a handful of data entries because they are stacked on top of each other, and you can't actually see differentiation. But it's because it's such a tight scope of of data results. Is that a good thing? I'm guessing. It's no, a thing. It's a thing. Um, it's, okay, it's, it's not good or bad. <laughs> no, there's just some some tests that we have across the board where the data is very tight. Either that or it's a very reproducible result. It's usually kind of a high volume of participation and a low 
reporting requirement or accuracy requirement of the results. So say, for example, if you're reporting, if you've right, if you have a thousand laboratories and the data that you're reporting can only be reported to um, the nearest whole number and the range is from zero to 100, you only have 100 possible points for a lab to submit data. And if you have a thousand labs, of course, people are gonna duplicate data. And then when you send out a highly uniform sample, you may have you know, 950 laboratories that report the same number. So that's, that's where we run into the clustering or stacking of the data. Right, let me actually adjust this. Um... It's the actually the one I was thinking of was the uh, consistency using the stormer viscosity viscometer. Um, so for that one, we had 45 good data points. If I look at the Uden plot, I can see 10 because they're all stacked on top of each other. There's 45 there, but it doesn't visualize as as all 45. That's interesting. And if people wanted to see this, this is that part of the um, compilation of statistics or. Yeah. Something yes. else that everyone else was interested in that they could find it after the data was released. Mm -hmm. Yep, you uh, just go to uh, the the sample type and the the test property that you're looking for, and uh, then view the Uden diagram. Yep, and you can find that at ashtoresource.org/psp/reports, and there is information and links there to get to what Ryan was talking about. Yeah, and I want to mention that we are not done with proficiency samples this year because there are two samples left uh, to come out after this. Three samples left to come out after this. We've got slurry and microsystems. We've got asphalt mixture solvent extraction. And we've got asphalt mixture ignition oven. Yep, ignition's a tease. That's actually 23, but most of the data will be collected and evaluated here in this, this coming year. It's just that we won't issue the report until next year. For those ones, th those are actually, there's still a closing date out for all three of those. So, oh, actually, by the time this airs, uh, Slurry, <laughs> if, you're, if you're excited about submitting your Slurry uh, data, you are out of luck. Uh, because by the time this airs, I think it'll be closed. But there'll still be time to get the solvent extraction and the ignition oven results in. And, and I believe are those the are those the two that you started the unboxing videos with, John? Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so that that's that's a cool add-on that we'll share in the next proficiency sample conversation that we have with you after those come out is maybe a link to those unboxing videos so that people can see what they look like. That is correct. And to see a date, a list of dates for all of the proficiency sample programs, the closing date and ship date, you can go to ashtoresource.org slash PSP slash schedule. So you can see everything. We do have for all of 2023, the dates out for that, all of the samples. So. And I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I know it's been a very busy day for you, John. Uh, but thanks for taking some time out today to, to meet with us. And Ryan, thanks for your first appearance on the podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resource's Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.